Welcome to Growth Island, your go-to podcast on how to be the best version of yourself. Now, let's join your host, Mess Freeze, as he interviews high performers and experts in nutrition, meditation, exercise, relationships, business, general health, and life's bigger mysteries. Welcome to this episode of Growth Island. My name is Matt Fries and I am your host as always. Today we're going to talk about memory. I'm not sure if you're like me, but I am horrible at remembering names. I remember faces, but I'm very often embarrassed when I run into a wonderful person again and I'm like, what is the name of that person? Or you might have that uh, sense where like your girlfriend tells you something and like suddenly you forgot it and she's like, what? I already told you before. Or your boss has to ask you about remembering something. So today I got a champion in. He is a five-time USA memory champion. So um, this is like you might be thinking how many people are competing in this. But just to give you like some small stats. This guy is able to memorize 235 names in 15 minutes. So when you're standing at the cocktail party and you can't remember two names, just think about that. And uh, for all of the poker players out there, he can memorize uh, decks of playing cards in 30 minutes. There's nine decks. And there's a lot more of these like crazy workers that seem super natural, superhuman. He claims that is not superhuman. I'm not sure, but uh, we'll try and figure out in this uh, podcast. He's also an author of uh, a book where you can learn more about it called Remember It. And a kid's book as well, where kids can learn about memory. He's also a founder and a CEO of Climb for Memory, a nonprofit charity that aims to raise awareness and funds for Alzheimer's. Um, Jim is just a really cool guy that when you go searching on YouTube and so on, it's like, that's one of the dudes you would like to hang out with and just hear stories <laughs> about bonfire. So I'm really excited to have Nelson Dennis in today. Nelson, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Super nice intro. Thank you. <laughs> so Nelson, you're doing a lot of cool things. Uh, but if we just start with the memory thing. Yeah. How do you become a champion in remembering stuff? Yeah, I didn't set out to do that. That's not, that was never my intention. I just kind of stumbled it on, stumbled upon this whole world of memory techniques and this historic kind of skill that we used to all have. And I was fascinated by it. I never had a good memory. It was never something that I would have bragged about or anybody would have said about me. So learning memory techniques sounded, you know, like outside of something that I was going to be ever good at, but turns out that the techniques that you can use, anybody can learn them. And if you give it enough love and practice, you can get really good at them. And that's what I did. I have a very competitive kind of, I push everything to the limit. So combine that with memory techniques and that's what led me to win some championships. That sounds pretty interesting. So what I once read a book, which I think is related to what you do as well, called, I think, Memo. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one of my first memory books that I ever had by Orjun Bai. I don't know how I say his name correctly, yeah. but that's from, a good one. Uh, from Norway, which yeah. kind of opened my eyes when I it was back when I was studying and so on, but I never took it that much further. I tried sometimes to visualize um, a room going to, but we'll get more into the techniques. I'm curious to hear like how much from that book and what are the other things that we can do. But what, first of all, just what do we need to understand about memory to like get to the next level of getting better at remembering things? Yeah. I mean, the first thing to, to kind of understand is that as much as I know, I keep saying this and you even question it and I say, anybody can do this. All right. And the, the, I mean that to 
varying degrees. Obviously, I'm not necessarily saying everybody can be a memory champion because outside of memory techniques to be the best at anything requires dedication, the level of interest to, to spend the time, right? Some people might not care for that. That's fine. I did, right? But we can all learn these techniques. They're very intuitive. They feel comfortable and they're very powerful. So anybody can learn them and do what they will with them. I think, and even the research shows this, I was talking to an anthropologist about this a couple of weeks ago and her research, she studies cultures that used some of these techniques a long, long time ago, thousands of years ago. I always tell the story about the Greeks and how they invented this, but that's not even true. These techniques that we use in memory competitions were used since the dawn of man. I mean, this was what our, this is all you could argue that it was where our brains split off in evolution is this capability to tell stories and to remember information through storytelling and song, which is essentially the technique in fancier ways nowadays, but it's essentially that. So our brains are hardwired for this stuff. So if you can kind of accept that and go along with the practice and the techniques, then you'd be surprised how amazing your memory can be. So what are some of these techniques? Yeah. So the general idea is we think better, we remember better in pictures and stories. So whatever you're trying to memorize, the goal is always to, how can I turn this into something that I can visualize in my mind? That can be pretty easy if it's just a few words, but it can get quite complicated if you're looking at some code or some numbers, right? Or a deck of cards. How do you do that? So for some of those things, we as memory athletes have systems that we've devised that help us translate those complicated symbols into easy pictures. But once that strategy is figured out, it then becomes easy because it's just imagining pictures. So that's always the first step is, is to visualize what you're memorizing. And I don't mean, let's say you have a list of grocery items. I don't mean visualize each and every word on your list. I mean, see the thing, right? Feel the thing. Like if you're looking to buy some melons, right? Don't think of the word melon on your list. Actually picture a melon. What would it taste like, right? The, the emotions that come with like, you've been starving for weeks and suddenly you get to taste this juicy melon, right? Like squirting all the juices in your mouth. It's orange, right? The color, the smell, all that is what I mean by visualization. And when you really tap into that, try to use all your senses, it suddenly comes alive in your memory. Got it. So. Really visualizing it and feeling the emotion. That's also something I've been told many times. If you have an emotional attachment to something or you yeah. get emotions, your brain remembers it. So that's why when you want to teach someone, <clears throat> you can get some kind of emotion attached to it. People remember it compared to when you were just talking about facts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you can, we remember those emotional moments in our life more than the boring kind of everyday stuff, right? Think of the first child you had or your first kiss or a car crash you were in that was traumatic, like on both spectrums, right? The negative and the positive, we remember those so powerfully. So if you can kind of tap into that and, and make your visualization, your imagery, have this emotional charge to it. What does it make you feel? Does it make you laugh? Does it make you happy? Does it make you tense and angry? Or can you make it uncomfortable? All those different feelings enhance the image. So how do you remember names? So like when I meet new people. Uh, I've been told that try to associate the name with another person that I know with that name. I felt that has kind of been helpful, but yep. what would you suggest? So that's a good start, but the, the problem is, and this is the problem with most things that we forget. It's not so much that we have a bad memory for the thing. It's just that we don't have a, a, a reliable way to recall, right? Because 
oftentimes you may have learned someone's name and then you forgot it. But if I were to say, Hey, this is Steve, you might be able to finish the sentence and be like, Oh, it's Steve. Yeah. I know Steve. I remember the name now, right? Which means it's in there somewhere, right? Cause if you did it, if you were like, wow, I didn't know I Steve, I didn't even, that doesn't even ring a bell, right? That's you forgot, right? But a lot of things, we just need a little help, right? To be like, oh yeah, that was the thing. So that means it's buried in there somewhere, which means that it's a problem of access, right? How, how could I have gotten it out? It, it was somewhere there, right? I just couldn't find the piece, right? It's lost somewhere in there or mess. It's messy in there, right? So the problem then becomes, how can we organize the things that we place in our mind, right? And this is where the techniques get a little more interesting. With names specifically though, if you're coming up with an association to someone, you know, with that name, let's say that's a good start, but you're still the, that association is just floating in the air, right? It's somewhere floating in your mind. Let's say what you want to do is attach it to something so that next time when you want to retrieve it, you know where to go to get it. Right. That sounds very fanciful, but how the frick do you do that? So for names, a good approach is when you meet someone, you're probably next time you see them, you're going to see their face again. So it's helpful to maybe choose a feature on their face, something permanent, something that you notice, big nose, eye headlines like this, the hairdo, beard, and then you imagine or come up with a little story for the association that you had attached or interacting with the feature. That way, next time you see the person, the feature is the thing that holds the memory. Obviously it's not actually on the person's face, but it's the, in your mind, when you associate the face, uh, to, it's attached to the image. So I don't know. Do you have an example of, of someone you met recently? Do you have a name? Rosario. Rosario. Driver down here. Okay. All right. So Rosario, you might think of Rosario Dawson, right? Or maybe you just think of a Rose, right? Maybe you don't know who Rosario Dawson is. She's an actress. Maybe you just think of a rose and that helps you remember Rosario. Okay. So that's good. But then you want to maybe somehow attach it to the person's face or something about them. Uh, face is a good place to start if you're new to this, but maybe they have <clears throat> maybe a beauty mark right here. I don't know. So I would imagine a rose sprouting out of their, uh, beauty mark, right? Uh, or mole, whatever it is. And I try to really visualize that. What would it? Maybe you touch it, it's kind of furry or it's kind of unattractive or something like that. It makes you kind of grow some gag, but you go to, you know, you go all the way into making this image as uh, colorful and complete as possible. And that's the way to remember. That makes sense. Yeah. What about the, so Rosario, I can pronounce that and names that I can kind of, I have heard <laughs> about before. Now I'm down in Dominican Republic and there's a lot of names that I've never heard in my life before. Yeah. Uh, those I find even more challenging. Yeah. Yeah. So in each of our own cultures, are you region? Are you, or are you? I'm Danish. So you're Danish. Those the same. So for me, if I went to Denmark, I'm sure there's a lot of names that would look very difficult for me, or maybe they're names I know, but they're spelled differently or something like that. In your own culture though, they're names you see all the time. So you probably know a cousin with that name, or it sounds like a word in that language, but for foreign names, it is tricky. So what you have to do is go more on the sound that you hear and try to bring it back to something that you know, right? So I don't know a good example. If we saw the name Jesus, right? We'd be like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Is it Jesus? But if, if somebody were to introduce himself and you'd never really been to a Spanish speaking country and you're like, oh, my, my name is Jesus. 
right? With the accent and everything, you might be like, wait, Jesus, what is that? You might not even know that it's Jesus on paper, but you could go by sound, right? Like, hey, Zeus, right? Or hey, Zeus, right? Maybe you think of saying hey to, to Zeus, the God, right? Or, or to Dr. Seuss or something like that. So you try to break it down into things that you can associate in your own language. Got it. So that's how we remember names. I'm definitely going to try that to the, well, the next time I meet someone, it's going to be fun to test this out because yeah. it's, I remember I had a boss in Deloitte when I was working there as a management consultant back then, uh-huh. and there was the kind of CEO for consulting and he would know every single name, that's amazing. even though there's like two or 300 now our department, right? And he would always like greet you when you went past him, you'd be like, Hey mess. And you'd be like, whoa, he knows who I am. Uh, such a small thing, but we really feel a lot more appreciated when someone remembers our name. Of course. Yeah. And you lose nothing by trying. What's the worst that happens? You forget their name anyways. So it's a fun game. I really enjoy it, especially when I'm at a big event. Just challenging. You challenge yourself. You try to say, oh, I'm going to memorize 10 people's names tonight. Yeah. I'm not going to leave the party without 10 people's names. And then you'd be surprised how uh, much easier it is when you make the, the effort to do it. Right. And you apply these techniques as well. So do you think there's a limit for how many things we can, so how do I turn it as differently? So there's different theories. One could be that you have a limited amount of energy uh, for your mind to use capacity. And the more names you remember, the less energy and capacity you have for other things. Another way of looking at it is the more that you train it, the more capacity you will get. Do you know anything about like where we are in the, the studies or science behind that, or like just practical experience? I don't know. I mean, I've heard some numbers of the maximum amount of information that can be stored in the mind and it's huge, but it's, they're saying it's a finite thing and it must be finite at some point. Although I don't know, I don't think we really understand consciousness in the mind anyway. So who's to say, but I have this feeling that as long as I have enough time and enough space, we'll talk about what that means. I feel like I can memorize anything, no matter the size. Got it. So what does space mean? Yeah. So we were talking about images and then where do they go? Where do you, how can you keep them in order? So this technique that was popularized, let's say by the Greeks, it's called the memory palace or mind palace. And basically it's what all memory athletes will use at the high levels to memorize thousands of cards and thousands of numbers and uh, poems and all that stuff. And basically what it is, is you create uh, a mental image of a place, you know, a palace, and you mentally navigate through the space, placing or imagining the images of the things you want to memorize along the way. And when I say, do you have the space uh, to store things? It's basically how many memory palaces and memory palace locations do I have prepared um, to store information? So an example of that is one of the projects I worked on a few years ago was to memorize a lot of numbers, 10,000 digits, <clears throat> and I needed a memory palace to put them in. So I 10,000 digits. Yeah. Yeah. And the way I, I organized the digits is I put them in groups of five for, for this particular task. So I only needed 2000 locations. My memory palace had to be 2000 locations long, right? Which sounds like a lot, but. I created it out of my neighborhoods around town in Miami, different places I grew up, my high school, my home. I lived in during high school, the shopping mall, the beach, and each of them had 200 locations, which is a lot more manageable. So I had 10 different locations, areas in the town and each had 200 and 
I just go on this massive drive through Miami whenever I want to remember those numbers. And I could do more, right? I just have to come up with more neighborhoods and more locations. So I could keep going. But of course, it takes time to encode the, the numbers, to store them, and then to review them, to keep them fresh. But, you know, if I wanted to memorize more, I just have to create more memory palaces. And that's not too hard. If we had enough time, would you be able to memorize and say out those 10,000 numbers now? Yeah, well, I need, they need a little bit of review. I haven't given them that. I did a lot of it during COVID where I was just bored writing and on the rower, but I haven't reviewed them as much in this last year. But it wouldn't take much to get them back. I just have to maybe look it over once or twice and then I'd have it all. <laughs> Excuse me. Got it. So these memory palaces, I think that's also what I read about in Memo, that book as well. He talked more about a house and that you would rent in and you would put different things. So just walk me through. So if I have this memory palace, so let's say down here in Dominican Republic, yeah. these apartments, then I place different words or different things in the different rooms. So let's say that you have, I don't know, a list of 10 grocery items. So you make a list, usually you write it down, but now you're going to memorize it. Okay. So you might say, okay, I need a memory palace and I can put one image for each thing in my apartment, right? So the way you do that is first you decide what is the path that I'm going to take through this memory palace. And it needs to make sense. You don't want to have to memorize extra stuff. So just think of something casual that you would do anyways. Oh, I open the door, get into my apartment. Then maybe right there is the table, right? And then there's the kitchen over there and then the living room and I go upstairs and there's the bedroom. So a natural flow, each of those important locations, whether it's a room or a piece of furniture, it doesn't matter, will be what I call an anchor point, meaning you can place an image or attach an image to that thing. Um, and when I say attached, it really means just imagine it there hmm. interacting with it. So if your first item on the grocery list, let's say it's melons again, I open my door, maybe my door way is the first location of my memory palace. So I would imagine opening the door, there's a huge melon, right? Trying to squeeze through the door, right? And again, you can imagine it's maybe cut in half and you can see the orange melon part of it. And it's maybe dripping of juices and you maybe take a bite. It's delicious, but it's in your doorway, a huge one, right? That's all it takes. You've just now memorized that word by imagining it there at that location. And then you would go to the next, you walk in the door. What's next? Maybe the, the dining room table is right there. And the next word on your list might be, I don't know, you got to get some toilet paper or something. So imagine the, the desk just wrapped in tons and tons of toilet paper, right? You want to exaggerate it and make it funny or weird or whatever. And then you continue that process for all 10 items. And when you're done, let's say you're at the store later that day, trying to remember, you say, okay, I put it in my memory palace. What was the first location? Ah, my front door. What was in my doorway? Ah, a melon, right? And then you would walk through, oh, the table, toilet paper. Okay. And then you continue that process. And you now have placed those 10 items in a very specific location. You've filed them in a file cabinet, so to speak. And it's a lot easier to pick up because you know your house, right? You don't have to think twice about it. You can imagine it right now, right? Mm -hmm. So what's, that's not an added level of difficulty. It's crazy how much our mind is capable of and how little we use it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even when I talk through this, it does sound like a lot, right? Some people are like, wow, it's a lot of work to just memorize 10 things. I agree. Yeah. It sounds like it's a lot of work, but the process, when you do it, you've realized how powerful it is because 
not only will it get the information in your mind and in order, mind you, it'll stick with you for a long time, much more than any other information would if you just tried to look at the list and rotely and remember it. So do you do the same when you have a conversation with a person? You sit and listen to everything they're saying and put that into a house or how do you remember better what someone said? Yeah, sometimes because I do this too, so much that sometimes I just shut off and I'm like, no, I'm not memorizing anything right now. But, you know, in certain situations like an interview or a cocktail event where I'm trying to network or something. Yeah, it's super important. I want to remember interactions I have and things that people say. So when I'm talking to people, I'll have memory palaces at the ready to just store or quickly throw in little images that help me remember some of the key points that they said that I wanted to remember. I want to do everything. A lot of people think or say, oh, you must remember absolutely everything. The thing is, there's no point in memorizing everything. There is absolutely no point. That's why our brains forget shit is because if it remembered everything, what a waste of time, what a waste of anxiety and, and all the stress, right? For things that don't matter, right? I think that's why our brains are designed to forget things because it keeps the things that allow us to survive and, and drops the rest, right? Who cares that somebody walked by here, my window wearing a blue sweater. I don't need to remember that. But if I walk by and he's holding a gun, waving it around, yeah, I'm going to remember that because that's survival, right? I don't want that guy to kill me, right? Yeah. So it's what our brains are designed to do. Um, and, and one of the things you need to be aware of is with memory techniques, you now get to decide what stays and what doesn't go, but it doesn't mean that I'm always memorizing. Definitely not. Especially in a conversation. That's tough. A lot of things get said. Some of it's casual run on sentences and, and people get interrupted. It's not an easy thing to memorize. So you got to pick and choose your, the, the things that you're trying to store. Yeah. So I, when I was younger, I had a really good memory and, and I could remember more things also from school and so on. Once I've gotten older, I feel like I remember less and less. I also then have more things to like, to have remembered. Right. But the same thing was, I used to be really good with numbers. Like math was the class that the easiest time with, and now I never use numbers. So yeah. it almost feels like it hurts in my brain when I have to think about calculating things in my head instead of a computer. Yeah. How much do you think is like trainable and like also that we just train part of our brain? We also know like from studies that the taxi drivers in the, in London, there was a study like their brain was like more developed in one part before GPS because they would remember all of these different roads. Yeah. When they were, I think they still have to, I don't know if they're allowed to use GPS, they must, but the taxi drivers, they have to take a test. Right, called the knowledge where they had to memorize basically the map of uh, London, which is not obvious, not oh. like, not the US. like, yeah, exactly. It's not the US. It's a very difficult thing to study for it. And I think the study talked about how, when they went through the study, their brains actually changed. I think part of their hippocampus grew, but basically you want to the, where were we going? I forgot. How much is trainable and how much, how much is trainable? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's all trainable. I mean, it's the more you do it, right. The more like any skill, right. You probably were good at numbers. We well, probably have more of an affinity to numbers, but you were, if you were studying numbers and enjoying it, you got better at it. Whereas now we probably don't have the opportunity to do math problems all day. Like why would you do that? Unless you were studying for a class. So of course you're not going to be as adept with numbers. So, so that part of being able to use it often and not definitely affects your ability to remember better or not. It's like a skill, right? Mm. Like any skill. But how much do you train a day? Do you say eight hours? It's like harnesses or? Before, before competition, not so much anymore because I'm 
done what I wanted to do in, in the memory world, um, the competitive memory world. But back in the day when I was like trying to be the best, yeah, I'd spend a lot of time. I don't know if eight hours, but at one point I remember calculating at least five hours a day, not necessarily consecutive, but throughout the day. And because the whole process, right? I got to memorize and then I got to study it and then recall it, right? It takes some time. It's not like five straight hours of memorizing. It's all the things involved. I've been doing little drills and studying my systems and things like that. But yeah, the more I trained, especially when I was first learning it, the better I got. Nowadays though, I can train a lot more minimally and I can still kind of maintain my ability. But that's because I've done it for so long. I think if I wanted to get better, I'd have to train hard again, which I don't know if I have the motivation for that or, or the time, honestly. No. So. Any specific foods? I saw you had something about blueberries, walnuts on Instagram oh, yeah. that you would recommend for a uh, better brain memory. Yeah. So the number one food type that I, I try to incorporate is DHA omega-3. It's, it's a fatty acid found in the brain naturally, and you can get it from fatty fish, like salmon, for example. I don't eat a lot of fish, so it's something I get through a supplement. You can get it like fish oil, like capsules, or, or it'll say DHA omega-3. Certain foods can have it in them as well. But that's been really helpful. I've always taken that. Um, and I see the differences when I stop it and start it. Outside of that, yeah, blueberries are good because of their antioxidant level. So any foods that are uh, antioxidants are good for reducing inflammation. Anything that reduces inflammation is, is relatively good for thinking clearer, right? Being more focused. And when you have that, you have a better memory, right? If you can focus on something without distraction or you, you remove this brain fog, um, it may not be like, oh, you have instantly a better memory, but you have better focus, better attention span, which leads to better memory. <laughs> yeah. So those are some of the foods. What about sleep, uh, exercise, meditation, mindfulness? Yeah. So goes on. sleep is an obvious one and I'm not a sleep expert, but I, I have three kids right now and I don't sleep a lot just because of this phase in my life, but I definitely notice that I miss the mark a lot on my memory. But interestingly enough, when I sit down and use my memory techniques intensively, I don't see much of an effect. I mean, there must be an effect eventually, but let's say I got one or two hours of sleep over five days. I think I can still memorize a deck of cards at the end of five days uh, and pretty fast still. It may not be my fastest, but still pretty incredible. But I'd say like the more day-to-day -day stuff that I don't try to memorize would slip my mind more. Watching one or two hours of sleep a day for five days would be pretty bad. But yeah, I try to value sleep. I try to get maybe seven, eight hours of sleep if I can. In terms of mindfulness and meditation, I don't really practice that per se. I think that when I sit down to do my memory challenges and, and training, that is my meditation, right? Because what am I doing? I'm not focusing on my breath. I'm focusing on the thing that I'm memorizing and trying to quiet out the voices that come in to distract. So I think any form of that definitely can help you kind of have a clearer mind and be able to focus better and for longer too. That's what I'm training essentially is how can I focus for five minutes, 10 minutes, an hour straight with as minimal as distractions as possible, right? When I first sat down to do one of the events of the memory championship, which was 60 minutes to memorize numbers, I was like, how can I sit here for 60 minutes and just stare at numbers? I'm going to get so bored. I'm going to think about a million other things except for numbers. But, you know, with practice, you see like the 60 minutes goes by like this. And at the end of it, I have thousands of digits in my mind. Um, 
that comes with practice and then sitting down and dedicating yourself to being in that mental focus for so long. <clears throat> so you mentioned cards. One of the questions that I got from one of the listeners is, Mess, let's go to Vegas with this guy. I so are you banned for casinos or? No, no. I get that question all the time, but uh, not that I know of. I go to Vegas regularly. I actually play blackjack on a, a card counting team. But surprisingly, for card counting, play blackjack, you don't really have to memorize much. And in fact, if you try to, it's a waste of your resources because the cards are being shuffled a lot. You don't really gain any extra information by memorizing the suit and the value. All you really have to do is keep track of whether the cards that remain, that there's a lot of high ones or a lot of low ones. Uh, and that's good enough to, to give you an edge. There are some little techniques you can master uh, using memory techniques in blackjack, for example, but you have to find the right game. You have to find the right dealer. It's not so straightforward. Car counting covers a lot more ground. Got it. So Nelson, have you ever got in trouble for being able to remember too well? Only maybe with my wife. <laughs> she expects, she says, you can memorize thousands of digits, but you can't remember my friend's name. So yeah, I still make those mistakes and it's a bit embarrassing just because she's right. I mean, I can't argue that I have a bad memory. <laughs> See, I'm a freaking five-time memory champion. So that excuse doesn't work. So is that basically just because you haven't done the, the work there and because there's a lot of things that you would like to use your memory for instead? It's in my attention span. I'm not paying attention. I hate admitting that to her, of course. Yeah, but that's what it comes down episode. to. Yeah. I mean, because if she gave me a piece of paper with 50 of her friends' names and their photos and a timer, and she said, go, I'm going to, this is a competition, go. Yeah, it'd be the easiest thing in the world for me. But put me in a, uh, she dragged me to an event and I'm like not there. And then I have to memorize names. I'm like not in it. That makes sense. Yeah. What are one of the most fun situations where you really got advantages uh, out of being able to memorize? Well, what are some of the really fun situations where yeah, I wish I was more, I'm a bit of an introvert. I mean, I talk well, I guess, but I, when I'm in a group of people, I don't come out with it and, and, and share with everybody. But there's been a few instances where my friends nudged me to do something or perform and we've gotten a few items at a restaurant for free because I memorized something or for beer at a bar, do like a bar bet. That's the extent of it. I, nothing crazy. So I'm now you have a wife, but I'm guessing otherwise it could be an interesting thing when you were going out. Yeah, no, I, before I met my wife, it was definitely a cool little closer, right? Because. I'd be like, Hey, can I get your number? And okay. They'd expect me to take out my phone. And I'd be like, no, no I'm going to memorize it. That's already a cool little move, right? Yeah. She's like, oh, yeah, we'll see. You're a bit drunk. We're a bit drunk. You're never going to remember it. But the next day when you, or the day after, when you text them, that's when it hits them. Yeah. Oh, shit, this guy memorized my number. <laughs> He's smart or he thinks about me more. Like yeah. it's a cool little um, subtle effect. Yeah. So have you ever seen the, um, the TV series called Suits? I've seen Mike, it, yeah. Okay. So Mike Ross is like known to have, he'll be able to remember everything. Have you, have you seen enough to see whether that would actually be possible if you were just doing all of the, the um, these castles or towers or. Uh... Yeah. I haven't seen too much of it to really comment, but from other people that I've talked to about it in, in the memory world, they've said to me that it's highly fictionized. Fictionalized, fictionalized, fictionalized. Mm. It's same with the sheet. They do the same, but then he goes into his memory palace. It's not like that at all. They make it for TV. It's a little more showy, but it's not quite like that. 
no. from what I understand. Fair. So some of the things to remember better, uh, really visualize it and put emotions into it, strong emotions. Um, yeah. That's a way to remember better. For yeah. names, try to find that feature, for example, in their face, or it can be on their body or something yeah. else. Because the important thing is the recall, as you said it, because it should be stored somewhere in your brain. And then you can recall, that makes sense as well. And then these uh, memory towers or castles or houses, houses yeah. palaces, uh, where you walk through and you have a path and then you make those really strong emotions to it. Like you said, like the big melon or something fun that's not ordinary, but like a toilet paper around the, the desk and so on. Are there any other things that are like good tricks for us to, uh, to practice? Yeah, I mean, so the memory palace is a good way to organize things, but that's not always the best way. I mean, you always have to think, how am I going to need to recall the information? Like, how am I going to use it? So if you want it in order, then yeah, memory palace is great. But sometimes you just need to be able to recognize something and, and know the meaning or something like that, learning a language, right? If so, you're trying to learn Danish or something, and this one word means dog or something. You want to be able to hear the person say the word Danish and be like, ah, it's a dog, right? You don't have to, you don't want to look it up in your memory palace. So another popular approach is to use what's called a linking method. And it's very similar. It's all really the same thing, just same technique, just in different formats. But this is, you would take a word, the thing that you're trying to learn or memorize and then what it means or what it represents and you just link them together. So you imagine. Instead of imagining and interacting with your doorway or your table, you interact it with each other. That way they're linked. So if you say the, what's the word in Danish for dog? Hoot. Hoot. Okay. Yeah, it's like in Dutch. Yeah. So you would have a, that kind of sounds like hound, right? So I think I'd have this word hoot, right? And then I have a dog, right? So I'd somehow imagine those two things together. That's a pretty easy one because I think of a dog like a hound, right? Or even on a hunt, maybe hunt, hunt sounds more like hunting. So maybe it's like a hunting dog, right? So I imagine the dog is hunting, right? And that's as simple as that. Just try to connect it that way. So that's also very helpful when it's information that you just need to be able to recall really quickly like that. So an example for me would be my girlfriend is from Lithuania and thank you is achu. Is it? So, yeah, so achu, I can remember like someone like achu and someone, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, and you give them a piece of paper and then that's thank you. Um, yeah. Yeah. Maybe you have a paper that says thank you, right? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. That's funny. That too. Yeah. That's, that's so everybody in Lithuania is just sneezing <laughs> everywhere. Uh, that's the easiest thing to remember of all of the, the words that are heard. It's, that's the one that's easy, right? Because it's easy to link to something else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we know that already. Are there any other techniques that we should be aware of or that we should train? No, because after that, really what the techniques come down to or is how to encode the different information, how to come up with the picture, right? So, and that can depend. I mean, there's so many different things, right? Like with words, you just picture the word, right? Or something, you, most words we have an image for already, but then names is a little trickier because maybe you don't know the name. <clears throat> numbers is even more difficult because a number is a symbol, right? Same with cards, right? So. Once you get past kind of how to encode or how to store the information, it's really all about different approaches to encoding the information. And there is no one set technique to do that. It's just you deciding, how am I going to turn this into a picture? So learning a new language, there would be a mix of all the different techniques to learn the words or, or what, what's the best way to go about that? Yeah. I mean, one part of, 
I apologize. My voice doesn't usually sound like this. It's cracking and I'm just very sick. So pardon me. Yeah. For language, you have vocab, you need to learn the vocabulary. So using the linking method, I just talked about for learning a lot of vocabulary is super helpful and quick, but then you need to remember grammar rules and you need to remember syntax and word order and all these little things and whether something's masculine or feminine or neutered, right? So you might want to maybe incorporate some memory palace concepts for some of these other things conjugations and, and word order or whatever. Got it. I have a girlfriend that I think is going to be after me once this episode has been released, if I'm not knowing a lot more uh, Lithuanian words and also I need to learn more Spanish, but uh, that's something to test out. So Nelson, apart from remembering a ton of stuff, you have a guy that lives some, uh, through some cool stuff and like right. adventurous and climbing and so on. What are some of the things that you would have wished you had known 10 years ago? Uh, 10 years ago, where was I? It was 28. Yeah, it's kind of when my memory journey started and climbing as well. I wish I would have known that because I felt back then that I could do anything if I really spent my time on it. And I think that's just like a naive young my, man's point of view. But it's a good state to be in. I said yeah, that years yeah. ago as well. Throw anything at me, I'll learn it in no time, like unbeatable and so on. Yep. And then I really felt that it's a bit naive, but again, it's, I think I needed to feel that way to get the things done that I did. But you know, I would have maybe told that person to value this feeling of freedom, uh, cause it's not going to last forever. <laughs> not that I can't do anything now, but it's a lot different. Yeah. Of course I hear that from a lot of parents. That is the most wonderful thing to get kids, but yeah. they wish that they had valued the time they had before because they didn't realize how much time they actually had. Yeah. You, you just can't convey it. Even the other day, we have three kids now and the other day we went, um, on a vacation, two days, it wasn't much of a vacation, but we had to bring one of the kids, the, the baby. And we were like, this is so easy. Are you kidding me? Like when we had our first baby, I remember thinking like. Oh my God, it's such a change of everything. We can't do anything, but we, you know, it's all perspective, but yeah, definitely changes, but you just don't realize it in the moment, no matter how much you hear it and people yeah. warn you. It's, okay. How many kids, well, how old are the kids? Those three? Yeah. Three and a half, one and a half and, and three months. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Do you have kids or no? No, I would love to have kids one day. Yeah. So uh, a little bit further down the line <clears throat> when uh, I can also take more time off from work. I would prefer not to work like 60 hours or 50 hours a week. Yeah. 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 Because yeah, you want to, if you put kids in the world, you want to have to, I at least want to have time for them. Right? For sure. It's so much fun. It's so much yeah. fun. They were amazing. What do you think if we had a chat in 10 years time and I asked you the same question, what would you tell yourself 10 years ago? Yeah. We were 10 years from now. I don't know, man. That's a really tough question. <laughs> um. It probably would have been almost the reverse. Well, no, the same, like value your time right now. I'm like a lot of things I feel like I'm always just playing catch up on now, just like catching up on my sleep, catching up on my work, trying to find a second here to do all these things. And I'm sure in 10 years, I'll be missing this part of my life for being like, ah, oh, these kids, they're never going to be that small again. And so cute and like open to the world. So like you can show them anything and they're just like, wow, this is amazing. Tell me about it, dad. This is so cool. You, you know, you lose that over time. That goes from being cool to uncool when they're teenagers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I hope that doesn't happen. I'll find cool. Yeah. The best as I can. What's, uh, what's one thing that people often misunderstand about memory? 
Yeah. I mean, the obvious thing, which is they think that it's something you either have or you don't, but people just have good memories, bad memories, and that's kind of it, mm. but that's not the case. I think we all have good memories. It's just a matter of unlocking the potential. Got it. I'm definitely going to be uh, practicing some of these techniques now. I was super curious back then when I read the book Memo, and then when I had the chance to get you on the show, I was like, okay, now is the time. I got to nice. Yeah. That's a great I, book. I, 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 it's in one of my boxes because we just moved, but I, I look at that book often because it was one of the first ones that got me started. Yeah. I still remember in Denmark, it was either red or yellow. I think it, it came in different prints. Oh, and cool. it was like a, a special shape. It's funny how like certain things that you remember, right? They give you the most, yeah, yeah. wow, unlimited list of being able to remember so many things. Yeah. So time is running, Nelson. I would love to talk to you for many more hours and one day join you on one of uh, your trips up the mountain. Yeah. Please. Where where can people find out more about you and tell me a little bit about the the trips that you're doing? Sure. Yeah, you can find more if you go to my website, nelsondellowis.com or search me on YouTube. I have a lot of videos that I post. And yeah, I try to run some hikes and climbs that everyday people can do up Kilimanjaro. It's a bit of a challenge, of course, but I think anybody can Everest base camp, some other peaks around the world. And I have a trip coming up in, in, in July to Kilimanjaro, if anybody's interested, um, you can always just shoot me a message, but yeah, we climb to raise awareness for Alzheimer's. That's the, that's the big goal. Nice. Yeah. And I always end up asking my guests before we end, people are experts in different things, but everyone has their own life experience. What are like three advice you would give on how to live a happy, healthy, and meaningful life? Ooh, all right. Let's see. Um, happy and meaningful life. For one, I, I think what makes me the most happiest is when you're doing something that you're most present, right? And that's the cheesiest thing to say, but it's true. I feel like if, if you're asked someone what their happiest moments are, it boils down to moments where they were the most carefree, right? Or unthinking about stress and time. You were in the moment, the most present, right? So try to remember that. I often try to remember that because I have some instances in my life where I really felt that. And I always try to model experiences that I'm having with my kids or on these trips around that. Oh, I shouldn't be on my phone. I should be right here right now, because this is where I'm going to feel, this is what I'm going to remember, right? Um, I'm not gonna remember the phones that I'm playing this stupid game. It's, it's this moment here where I felt the breeze and I laughed with this person or exerted myself to get up this mountain, right? So. That's one, be in the moment as best as you can. Second, don't waste your time, right? Do the, do the, be where the people you love and the, the, be where you want to be, right? That's such a bad answer. I don't know. Just value your time, right? This yeah. is another thing. If you want to get something done, do it. Don't, don't wait, right? You have some limited time and you're not going to remember all the, you're going to remember all the shit you didn't do, right? Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I can't think of a third one. No, that was fine. So it's funny when I've interviewed more than a hundred people, it's probably 130 by now, not all of the episodes out, but people often come with very similar advice, being present, prioritize what matters, move, get your sleep. Don't be too hard on yourself. Um, yeah. That's the, yourself. yeah. I did a whole video on, on mood boosters and definitely moving. I always feel like whenever I exercise, even if it's hard or I don't want to. Without a doubt, after the session, I always feel better. Always. Emotionally. Like, not yeah. physically. I might be torn apart or dying, right? But, like, mentally, I feel good and happy and satisfied. <clears throat> Without fail. So, that's definitely another one. Yeah. Fantastic. 
Nilsson, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope to see you one day on a mountain or somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, counting cards with you in Vega and just uh, having a good time. Sounds good, man. Nice to meet you and thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Island. Be sure to subscribe for more episodes on how to be the best version of yourself. And if you found this show helpful, then please leave us a review so more people will learn about the podcast or share with a friend who can benefit from it too. Thank you again and have a wonderful day.